Um, anyway, we're gonna start by just kind of recapping. We're not even recapping. The offseason came and went. We saw, you know, the draft. We saw free agency. We have thoughts. And so we're going to take some time. Got a little truncated amount of time here to just share some of our thoughts on what we've witnessed this offseason, what we liked, what we possibly didn't like, all, all of the things. So let's just kind of, I guess we can do want to start positive, just throw it out, what we like, what we didn't, or kind of just go throw the team and just kind of discuss from there. How do we feel about it? I think the first makes more sense if we want to keep this to the point where Garrett's not up until free. Yeah, which could very well happen. All right, so let's do let's do what we liked. Let's start with what we liked um, in the offseason. Um, kind of work around the room. Let's start Josh, Garrett, and then we'll go with me. Yeah, uh, so the offseason that I really liked the most so far has been the Indiana Pacers. Um, like, I, I, I thought their draft was really good. Not only get getting Jairus Walker uh, at eight, but making that trade back and picking up an additional asset, knowing that the Wizards had the pressure to get ahead of them for that seventh pick, um, picking up Ben Shepard later. Uh, I think both of those players fit very well with what the Pacers are trying to do. On top of that, they got Bruce Brown, uh, NBA champion, fits perfectly with that kind of need to improve their defense um and the way his contract is structured like it's in some ways a massive overplay uh, overpay but it also works because it's functionally a one-year contract that they have the team option on for the second year so they basically just gave him a one-year 20 million type deal to kind of bring that championship experience, that kind of hard-nosed defense, um, and really kind of help uh, the younger players of the Pacers kind of develop that defensive stuff. And uh, I also thought uh, I'm a Duarte fan, but I understand the move uh, to get some uh, two second-round picks, I think, back, um, which they also sent two second-round picks to pick up Obi Toppin, who – I think I've told you guys in the past, the worst thing you can be in this league is boring. And prior to the Halliburton trade, the Pacers were boring. They had good talent. They were, when they were healthy, they were relatively effective, uh, but they were never fun. And now that they have Halliburton and Matherin, they're, they're embracing transition. They're, they're pushing the pace. They were fifth last year. Um, I think that is going to go even further. Uh, I think Halliburton, Bruce Brown, and Obi Toppin were all top five in the NBA last year in terms of um, field goal percentage in transition. So it's very clear that they're they're you know really chiseling out uh, a focus and a goal for this team, an identity, and I really like how they've gone about doing that. And also, they extended Halliburton, <laughs> who's the best player they've probably had since Reggie. So um, I, I, I have seen no fault in their offseason so far. Yeah, I completely agree. I love what the Pacers did. Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting, too, with the two like power forwards, essentially, that they acquired with Jairus Walker and Obi Toppin that – uh, they can kind of go with a more all-defensive uh, front 
toot in, in a So it appears that we lost Garrett there. So we're going to get back to him. Um, oh, sort of. Uh, we can sort of hear you, but not really. <laughs> Corbin. What, what was uh, kind of your favorite stuff from this offseason or, or a team that you thought did really well? this offseason so um you know i gotta bring up a team that could have went and chased the allure of stars you know possibly fall into a bad trap but came and had a sensible um offseason to kind of augment you know some weaknesses they had and and, and preserve that continuity and that's the los angeles lakers of course um i think that <laughs> i think that they cemented themselves one of the offseason's winners here um they locked in that continuity for next season I think they did a really good job of rounding out the roster. Um, what they brought back Austin Reeves for four years, approximately fifty-six million with a fourth-year player option, which is a steal. You know, they didn't have to go into the uh, uh, arena's rule contract. Um, they weren't pressured by other teams to pay him, overpay him to a massive degree. Like they did a really good job of of, of putting out the smoke signals that we will do whatever it takes to you know. To, and they to did. Keep him. Mm -hmm. That is the maximum they could pay him so like, they exactly. did do everything they could so they did yeah. yep and, and they did it without like explicitly saying it and possibly drawing the ire of the player association like just through the media like the mouthpiece anyone who listened like yeah we're keeping this guy so that was a good thing they did um bringing back the russell not only did i like the fact they brought him back uh the playoff performance in the conference finals notwithstanding i thought he did a really good job in the first two rounds uh to kind of help the lakers get where they got you know, at least to a certain point, um, thought he was a big part of the boost of their play in the second half. Um, but it was good. I, I also like the contract. I think two years, 37 mil, that's, that's not bad value for a player in his prime. Uh, we kind of know what he is offensively, you know, shot maker. You play kind of both guard roles. You know, you're not getting like a very good defender, but you're getting a pretty good playmaker and a guy who is not afraid of taking and making the big shot. So I like that. Um, I also like the signings of Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince, um, Ruby Hachimura, retaining him was great. They went and took two other swings, uh, one in Cam Reddish, which I'm not too upset with, one with Jackson Hayes, which I'm a little more upset with. But, I mean, all in all, I, I like the way the Lakers went into this offseason. You know, like, they obviously had a clear plan of attack. They weren't swayed by making these big, you know, star chases and going for Kyrie or whatever the case may be. Um, had Austin Reeves been an unrestricted free agent, he probably would have had a contract well north of 100 million. So the fact that they got him on what they have through his age 28 season with that player option, I think is really, really solid. And yeah, I, I think that this was good altogether. I mean, if you look at who they brought in, Gabe Vincent, the type of small guard who thrives off of LeBron James, or D'Angelo Russell, he played well off of LeBron James, the better fit than Russell Westbrook, which he essentially replaced, as much as I hate to say that, right? Um, Torian Prince comes in shooting a good clip from three, can actually play some decent defense. I don't like the signing of um, Mr. Hayes, uh, Jackson Hayes. Like, okay. But, I mean, I guess he brings you size. 
shot 75% from within three feet of the rim for his career, which isn't bad at all. Um, but, I mean, he's a flyer, I guess, right? Uh, all in all, I think the Lakers are just a deeper team um, that's better supported to withstand the 20 or so games that LeBron and or AD will miss. Actually, AD and or LeBron will miss. Yeah, I uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, I I loved what um, yeah I, I loved what the Lakers did as well. Yeah, I, I I technically look at it as they upgraded from from Schroeder to Vincent. You know, Vincent is a much better shooter. You know, defenses are not going to be able to sag off of him like they did with Schroeder, which makes things easier on the likes of LeBron and AD. And you know, Torian Prince is essentially replacing. Um, Troy Brown, and he's a much better, more reliable shooter out there. Uh, the yeah, as Corbin mentioned, like D'Angelo Russell, not not one of my favorite guys in the world, but you know he's a guy that can can uh, do some innings eating during the regular season. And uh, they they also got Austin Reeves on a on a great deal, and the, they were able to guarantee Jared Vanderbilt, retain Rui Hachimura. So they did just a, a little bit of everything that, that you would want and re- retaining all the key guys and adding a little bit, upgrading at some key spots. Uh, they didn't get that like, you know, third third star to make it like a true big three. But you're also hoping that maybe Reeves takes another leap and, and makes it a bona fide big three with him, LeBron and AD. They were, they were pretty great. I was listening to this on the low post recently but uh, they had a, a great net rating when the three of them were on the court so you know a little bit more continuity some upgrades around the edges for a team that made the western conference finals i think is a is a darn good offseason agreed agreed i think clearly the winners of the offseason i'm just kidding um but no definitely definitely like what they've done as well um any other notes or individual team fits um, draft selection that we want to talk about that we liked? I'll mention the my team that I was really impressed with, and that was the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think okay. they did a, a, a really great job with the, you know, they, they obviously had the huge hole at the small forward position. Everyone knew it. And they got about the best guy that they could conceivably get there in Max Struess. You know, he's he's a little undersized for the three, but he's he's strong. He can shoot the basketball not only off the catch but on the move, which adds another element to their offense. Uh, he's you know still relatively young. I think he's 27 right now. So he's a guy that's smack dab in his prime. They got him on a, a deal that's around 16 million per season, which is you know I think a, a fair rate. That's basically starter money at, at this stage, uh, given the the rising cap. So. I think they did really good there. They they also recognized in that series against the Knicks that they just could not shoot the basketball. Their offense just completely fell apart. And uh, adding a guy in George Niang as well um, with that uh, with the mid level was a great get for them. He doesn't do a lot, but uh, other than shoot, but he has been a consistently reliable three point shooter throughout his career. And uh, I think he's going to be able to play with both Jared Allen and uh, Evan Mobley. So, yeah, I thought the Cavs did uh, exactly what uh, what you would want them to do 
to build around that uh, that big four that they already have established. Josh, you have any thoughts on on the Cavs and their and their signings there? Uh, I, I loved I loved Niang and Struess for them. Like it's a clear hole for them, not just in terms of the small forward, but like the spacing that they need, and particularly off-ball spacing, because their two best shooters are the two guys who have the ball in their hands the most. So, like, having uh, Struess and Niang to fill that role, I think, is going to really elevate that team next season. Um, Yeah, I I thought they did very well. And I got to say, I thought the Lakers did very well as well. I'm not a huge fan of D'Angelo Russell, but like you said, Corbin, that's not like a significantly bad contract. It's not like Russ's contract was. Um, I do. <laughs> Corbin's wow. face is perfect. You know it was a bad contract. Um, I do gotta. I, I do gotta give the Jazz a shout out. Uh, they got uh, John Collins for basically nothing. Um, I also think Taylor Hendricks uh, was a really good uh, draft pick for them. And then on top of that, Keontae George. And um, who was the other guy they got? Uh, Sensabon? Yeah, Bryce Sensabon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did very well in the draft. Uh, they, they got Collins for like a couple seconds. Um, they They still don't really necessarily have a point guard um i'm not sure how they're really gonna address that uh, i could see clarkson starting in that role i could see um sexton yeah, i thought Corbin was gonna chime in with colin sexton yeah i was gonna say i could oh. see them starting but Listen. like i don't think either of them are point guards either colin of them are sexton is the next, he's the next um all-star in utah you can Who? book it colin sexton <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I did really well, and and I gotta give the the Jazz an oh. even bigger shout out for the offer sheet that they gave to Paul Reed that basically trolled the Sixers um, because the offer sheet functionally would have been just a one year, I think like seven something million deal for them for Paul Reed, uh, but. If Paul Reed's team made the second round uh, in the upcoming uh, season's playoffs, the the last two years, uh, which were for much bigger money, would be guaranteed. Now, the Jazz in the West feel like they're, that's probably a safe bet for them. And if they did make the second round, they're probably happy to pay that. Um, but for the Sixers, that makes the, the cost of retaining Paul Reed much uh, tougher. And on top of it, it's an added little jab that they, they left it at the second round of the playoffs because the Sixers haven't gone past that. So, yeah. shout Although out I will, say, I, I, I will say in that particular case, I think Paul Reed at around eight million a year is still a good deal for the Sixers at his age. So I don't think Agreed. even if they do make the second round, I don't think that's going to be that big of a, uh, an issue for them that he gets those, those last two years guaranteed. 
I, I think it's interesting because I, I look at the Jazz as a team that I'm still, well, I'm unsure. I mean, for the Philadelphia part, we can, Paul Reed, like, retaining great. Utah made a good play, I think, on him. Like, that was nice. Um, but, like, looking at Utah itself, it's hard for me to, like, are, are, are they a team that's looking to compete next year? Are they a team that's kind of riding out? I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know. Like, they have some young, like, good pieces. I mean, I like Keontae George. Obviously, Colin Sexton just needs another year to fully reach his potential, I think. Um, you know, if we look at a guy like John Collins, who was, what, 26? Like, so not in his prime, but, like, getting there. Like, I just – Larry Markkinen. Also, they have a lot of bigs there in my mind. Like, I feel like there needs to be some type of consolidation move moving forward for Utah. And yet, I, I don't know. At least right now, there hasn't been any noise that there is anything. Um, Josh Brandon about Kelly, Kelly Olenek. Um, that's that's potential there. I definitely think so. But I just I just want I feel a lot better about Utah if I knew the direction to get John Collins. The opportunity cost was like basically nothing. So like that right there off the top, great. But I would feel a lot more better. I mean, I'd feel a lot more better if I knew what they were doing. There was an opportunity cost though to get John Collins, and that's you impinge upon um, Taylor Hendricks kind of opportunities a bit. Bringing in Collins, and well, also there was they, they essentially cost. took Collins in in the cat with their cap space, so they yes. lose what they could have theoretically done with that cap space as well over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, there you go. But I guess that's still a good move. <laughs> yeah, it's still solid, but no, I appreciate you bringing it up because I hadn't necessarily thought of it from that perspective, and that's true. Like something was gone in that. I mean, you did take on a big contract, but I also feel like his growth was just stunted. In, in in Atlanta, and it was his shooting was regressing. Some of that, I think his 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 hand, he had like a thumb injury for a large part of it. Some of that, I just feel like the way he's utilized, just not getting good looks and just not being, you know, increasingly marginalized. So in Utah, I mean, I don't think he's gonna be more showcased, but I think it'll. I mean, he's gonna be more showcased in Atlanta just because. But I don't know how much more. But I still think it's a, it's a nice pickup. But um, let's kind of, I mean, uh, let's look a little, okay, let's go, we did some more of like free agency, some of that. Um, we've touched a little bit on draft. Let's kind of swing around with some draft fits that we enjoyed. Um, Josh, I can start with you, then go to Garrett. Just, I don't know, a fit, I mean, you already mentioned Jarris Walker. Um, I know Bryce Sensabaugh has been talking about a little bit. Um, but what are some draft fits that you look at? Like, you know what, like, I actually like that. Whether it's for the player, for the team, ideally both. What do we think about that? Yeah, uh, obviously there's this guy, not a lot of people are talking about him, uh, but I thought he was a really good pick, uh, Victor Wipinyama. I, I, think, <laughs> I think he's going to be really good for the Spurs. Um, honestly, I kind of, and he's not even my type of player really, but I kind of like Washington swinging on Koulibaly. I kind of like it. Um There, there were a few, like, good, like, fits, I thought. Like, Grady Dick going to Toronto. Like, they desperately need shooting. Um, and he'll also bring a lot of fun stuff to that team's, like, social media department. <laughs> um, that kid's goofy. Um, personally, I, I, I thought that, uh, like... Uh, Jaime, 
Haquez uh, to Miami at 18, and then uh, Podzimski to Golden State at 19. I thought those two were like perfect players for how those teams operate. Like, uh, I, I'm not saying they're necessarily the best talent that was on the board at the time, but those players are going to come in and from day one fit in, not just um, with the offensive and defensive schemes, but with like the culture of those teams. So I, I like those picks. And I know, Corbin, you were watching the draft with me. I really thought that it was cool that the Nets took uh, Derek Whitehead because his surgery was actually done by the Nets in-house team physician. So like if anybody knew the status of his like recovery and his injury and stuff, it was them. So uh, I, I, those were a couple of the ones that I liked. Uh, obviously, I also got a shout out my champion Denver Nuggets. Um, I thought Strother and uh, Hunter Tyson. And uh, Jalen Pickett were three really good pickups for them that should hopefully be able to contribute within the next two seasons within, ideally, that championship window. Um, and that obviously goes against most people's draft philosophy. You know, you swing hard. But, like, when you're in a championship window and you have Nikola Jokic and you have Jamal Murray, you need guys like a Pickett, Strother, and Tyson. And I thought uh, Calvin Booth has just continued to be impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I like all of those. Um, a couple, a couple picks that I uh, really enjoyed. I think Dallas did really well to not only get off of Bertans moving down from ten to twelve, but then uh, to uh, to get Derek Lively, who I think is the exact type of player that that team needs. You know, Luka Doncic is one of the best lob passers in NBA history. And I think Derek Lively could become sort of a Tyson Chandler-esque sort of role, vertical threat. Uh, he also is um, outside of Wembenyama. He was my second best, you know, shot blocker, rim protector in the draft. So um, to get a guy there that I think can, can be a two-way force and even has shown in some workouts, some ability to shoot the ball that that could be down the line could also space the floor a little bit. I think that's a really good value for Dallas. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we talked about the, the jazz guys briefly, but I liked both of their selections. Keontae George was really impressive in summer league. Uh, and then in the, uh, in the second round, a couple of guys, I really liked Jordan Walsh to the Celtics. He was a guy that, uh, defensively just a monster in college and obviously had some, some limitations on the offensive end, but, um, you knew that he was going to be similar to like a Herb Jones. You knew that this guy was going to be a, a defensive difference maker right out of the gate. And, you know, you can hopefully develop that offensive game and do enough that he uh, he can make an impact. And with Boston, you know, acquiring Porzingis, they have a lot of lineups where they can have four shooters and then you insert Walsh and he can kind of be in the dunker spot. Right. And where, Maybe if he, his shooting doesn't come around, he can still hide out there enough offensively, just, you know, um, get some offensive rebounds, make some timely cuts, and then be that defensive uh, stopper. So I like that. And then also another Spurs pick, I really liked uh, C.D. Sissoko. I was really high on him in the draft. But getting a guy who I think has all defensive potential 
that can also dribble and pass. Uh, the shooting has to come around, of course. That's going to be a swing skill for him. But, um, you know, a guy that uh, has, uh, has elite strength, really good mobility, uh, decent length, uh, seemingly has a pretty good feel out there and brings some some skills offensively where he can he can grab rebounds and go coast to coast he can he can make the he can be a connector and and make the right pass make the right reads so i, I really like those couple of picks at uh what was that 38 and, and 44 respectively yeah those are some solid listings of some good players and, and team fits um listen i i hate to be that guy but you know i, I gotta look at number 17 you know, from Indiana, Jalen Huchifino. Um, Definitely like what I've seen from him as his bigger kind of lead guard initiator. Um, wish he could shot three a little better. I actually wish late because I went for Cam Whitmore, um, especially given how he played, you know, in summer league. But I thought that was a nice selection. Um, Maxwell Lewis, I think, going to Lakers later as well. Someone who brings some additional size, brings some shooting, I thought was good as well. Um, Portland. I like Portland's draft. Um, obviously, you know, the star of the show is Scoot Henderson and just how he looked um, in his limited summer league action, but just how he fits in. And yeah, you know, we have to figure out what's going to happen with uh, Damian Lillard, where he goes and the return on that. But having Scoot Henderson, I think he was one of the other guys outside of Victor Wominyama, who I feel has real like true star potential. Uh, a guy who can jump out the gym, can throw down poster dunks, but has a really good pass by IQ. Um, in addition to that, Chris Murray. Like, yeah, Chris Murray's probably not going to be a star in the NBA, but he has the tools to be a really productive role player moving forward, right? He averaged, what, 6.8 three-point attempts um, in Iowa, which – You is, say he, he can't be a starter? I think he could be a starter. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I, I meant star. Oh, okay. I must have slurred my words. <laughs> no, he most definitely can be a starter. My mistake. I say he can't be a star. I don't, I don't see star upside in him. I'd be surprised. But, like, I definitely see a solid starter, someone who, you know, can play decent defense, bring some good positional um, length and sizing, and also shoot the three ball pretty well. Um, I like that. I mean, his three-point percentage in college wasn't super great, but when you look at how many he took, I think it averages out. And then Ryan Rupert, six seven with a 7-3 wingspan. Defensively, I think he'd be a disruptive, versatile defender. I like him as well. His offensive game is not great, like, at all. But just what he brings defensively is good. And you're adding this to a group of Shaden Sharp and other young guys, you know what I mean, that are on this team. I mean, I still believe in Mr. Little. I still believe in Keon Johnson. Like, there's other guys in this crop of, of, of young guys that I think this class can really help. And, again, this is not even mentioning, you know, what comes out of the hall that the Blazers get back for Damian Lillard, what other young players and prospects will go. Um, or, although the front office has been weird saying that they still want to win despite losing Damian Lillard. It kind of feels counterproductive to me. Um, I, I don't think that Jeremy Grant and whatever you get back from the Dame trade is going to help you win more than Damian Lillard. But besides that, just draft fit, I definitely like Scoot Henderson there. I just think that they had the easy decision to make. They had a star outside prospect, and they brought him on. And, oh, yes, how did I forget my guy, who's in several of my basketball GM files, uh, Anthony Simons. Love the guy. Okay, we have some how Jerry, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I largely agree. I think Portland did a great job. I mean, they uh, the the scoot pick was the easy one because he was the second best player in this draft, and he yeah. fell to three. Uh, and then uh, Chris Murray was, uh, yeah, I, I thought another solid pick. I think 
teams overthought this a little bit. Like, I think once you get to like 10 or later in the draft, like getting a guy that you're pretty confident can be a solid starter is a great pick at that point. So he was a guy that, yeah, maybe he doesn't have, he, he probably doesn't have the upside of his brother Keegan, but you knew he could shoot. You knew he's long, you know, he's a decent athlete. Uh, he's, he's going to make the right play. He, he runs hard. Uh, he plays hard. So like, yeah, if you got a guy that's a reliable shooter, plays hard, has decent positional size, like that's a good starter in the league. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was a great pick. And then, yeah, Rupert, similar to like the Jordan Walsh pick in the second round. I think if you can, at, at that stage in the draft, if you know for sure that the guy is going to be pretty good on one end of the floor, and then you can work and try to make the other end palatable, that's that's a guy worth taking. And Rupert, with his length, I think is going to be a pretty darn good defensive player. And yeah, maybe the offense never works out, but I'd rather take a chance on a guy like that than a guy who maybe is even below average on both ends that you have to get up to a, a decent level on both sides of the floor. That just seems tougher to me. I totally agree. Josh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, in those types of situations, I always just think you don't need that person to be like elite on the offensive end. You need that person to be a capable fourth or fifth option for some playoff minutes. That's it. That's it. You don't need this person to be like, you know, running ISOs themselves or necessarily even attacking closeouts all the time. You just need somebody who at the very least can Bruce Bow in it and like hit a corner three, know when to cut. Like you don't need a, a third, second or first option offensively out of these guys. If the defense is strong enough and you can get them to a fourth or fifth option on offense, I don't see what the problem is. Yeah, I mean, I think like a guy like Tony Allen is the perfect example, yep. right? Like he never even got to average offensively. Like he he got to a point where he could dribble it a little bit, he could catch and drive and slash and cut. Um, but he never became a reliable shooter, but he was still a very much a positive player because he was a lead on one end and they got him good enough offensively that he could survive out there. Corbin's questioning whether Tony Allen is good. Is that what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm just I'm trolling you, Karen. I just want to it's because it's because it's defense. And Corbin only believes in offense. I mean, we all remember the immortalized grit and grind grizzlies that made it so far in the playoffs, but you know, I I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jokes aside, jokes aside, I they made it farther than the Philadelphia 76ers have in the Embiid era. And on that note, like... <laughs> I'm just saying. I did have a I did have a couple of teams that I thought would just be interesting to discuss. Yeah, let's hit it. Let's hit um, it. So the the two teams I wanted to discuss, and I'm I'm largely down on these teams off seasons, but I could see an argument or you know that the direction or whatever makes some sense. But Toronto and Houston. Um, so let's start with Toronto. I think the. The thing that is so perplexing about what they're doing here is, you know, they made the win now trade for Jakob Pertl at the trade deadline mm -hmm. and gave up a first round pick to do so with mm -hmm. pretty light protections. And then they did that 
without um, an expectation that they would resign or you know resign Van Fleet or at least you know weren't fully committed to doing so. Van Fleet only got two guaranteed years from Houston. It was, you know, a lot of money for Fred Van Fleet. He's being overpaid for the player that he is. But at the same time, like, if you're Toronto and your commitment has been to continue to compete, losing Van Fleet for nothing is just untenable. It, and so, especially when it was, okay, yeah, maybe a five-year max deal is just like, no, we absolutely cannot do that. But three-year max for Van Fleet, I think I would have been okay pulling the trigger on that, even knowing he was going to be overpaid for those three years, just so that, you know, the team is uh, at a level where you can continue to compete and maybe you're one piece away. You know, like there's a talk, there's obviously the whole Dame Lillard drama going on, but they could they could have made a move and they still can even without Van Fleet. But if they had Van Fleet, they could make a move with Gary Trent Jr. as matching salary, um, you know, Scotty Barnes, a package with like Otto Porter and Thad Young. And you can get to the point where you're just adding Damian Lillard to a core of Van Fleet, um, OG Ananobi, Siakam, Pirtle. And all of a sudden <laughs> that team looks like they're right in contention again, but losing Van Fleet for nothing. Uh, they, they could still try to make that grab for Damian Lillard, but um, they certainly aren't going to be, as good as a team with Lillard and Van Vliet. True that. True yeah. that. I, I'm going to let you go first, Josh. Uh, I've also found Toronto's offseason interesting and not always in a good way. Like I said, I, I like the Grady Dick pick. Um, damn it, that's going to get clipped perfectly to just be Dick pick. Um, much like uh, you were you were showing me the, the fat Joe just being like, I like that Kansas dick. Uh, uh, but no, Grady Dick will be a good player for the, the Toronto Raptors. Um, I, I thought the contract for Jakob Pertl was solid. Uh, but yes, it's, it's a very weird compounding of last season's trade deadline decision-making where you're kind of straddling, uh, you know, do we, do we retain these guys? Do we try to go younger and just build completely around Scotty and maybe OG. Um, and they're seemingly trying to have their cake, cake and eat it too, which is weird considering Masai was ready to blow it up when he first got into Toronto. Like they had a deal uh, with New York to move Kyle Lowry. Like they had a deal and then the Knicks – front office was like wait we did the Bargnani deal with you why are we talking with you um so Masai has always kind of wanted to tear it down and build it up and when he now had the opportunity at last uh, at the trade deadline he didn't do it and in fact like kind of doubled down by bringing in Pirtle um it's just very interesting. And I don't I don't necessarily dislike Dennis Schroeder, but like he it's such a massive drop off from Fred Van Vliet to Dennis Schroeder. So they're gonna take a major step back unless, you know, 
Scotty takes a leap or OG takes the leap that everyone's kind of been hoping he takes for a while. Um, so it's just a very weird kind of dance that the, the Raptors front office has been doing. Yeah, and you, you wonder if it's just an issue with, you know, them valuing their own players too highly, right? And mm-hmm. they there were rumors that they got some great offers for Van Fleet, for OG, for Siakam at, at last trade deadline, and they've refused all of that. And again, even, even Pirtle, even though they were trading for him from another team, he was an original draft pick by Toronto. So it's, again, a sort of a doubling down on some of their own guys. Um, but again, I keep going back to the same thing where it's like, okay, if you're valuing your own guys and you're going for it, you're, you know, you're a buyer, not a seller, then pay up for Van Fleet. I just, again, and yeah, you, you mentioned Schroeder is a downgrade, but it's specifically a downgrade at the thing the Raptors need the most, which is shooting. You know, Uh they, they added Grady Dick that, that helps. But then you go from a very good shooting point guard to a well below average shooting point guard. And you've still got this uh, conglomeration of 6'8", 6'9", wings that, um, you know, don't necessarily all fit well together offensively. And you just wonder, okay, where, where is this going? And at what point do... They change their tact and say, all right, we're going to sell some of these guys off because we could have the same issue next year where they lose an OG for nothing, just like they just lost Van Fleet. Yeah, and there's also the Siakam stuff. Uh, There's been some talk about Siakam wanting an extension and the Raptors seemingly not working with him on that. Siakam's name has been coming up in trade discussions and and rumors tied to Atlanta or Indiana and Siakam seems to be very loyal and want to wants to stay in Toronto but if this continues and like they don't offer him an extension and they're constantly you know putting his name out there in trade rumors does that change and then you lose Siakam for nothing next offseason it's very possible. I think that they're actually leaning more toward that way. I think both you and Garrett have brought up great points about the Raptors probably putting their guys in a bigger light than they are. Like you said, like demanding the world for them and seeing them leave. And I think we've seen this in the last couple of years. I'm trying to think of another team that did the exact same thing. Maybe I'll just keep thinking of Toronto, but like the overvaluing your own players and then realizing that they can walk for nothing and you could have something of value for them. But rather than, you know, haul out the farm like the Godfather offer, you know, it reminds me of, um, it's not it's not the same, but the reverse, like the Celtics back when they had all the draft picks and they were, oh, we could go for Paul George or Jimmy Butler, or all these things and none of it happened, right? And they got really good with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, but, but that was pretty much it, right? And it's like the inactivity, despite being in a position where you can do something, because you value your picks in, in, in an unrealistic fashion or overvalue your players in an unrealistic fashion, sets you up for failure. And then you're like, oh, well, we're still trying to win, so Dennis Schroeder it is. And mind you, I, I like Dennis Schroeder. I think he's a story, you know. Um, and that's a good I – mean, I think that he's a story. Uh, I, You know, Dennis Schroeder went from playing himself out of a big payday to sort of redeeming his value in L.A. He was really a, a viable piece, even though Coach Ham loved him in those three-guard lineups, which – 
I only think should be done in video games, but fine. Um, <laughs> you know, you like that and and shoot to regain some value. But at the end of the day, this guy is a guy who's going to be 31, undersized, doesn't shoot very well. Um, I, I still am high on his like water bug quickness, but you have to imagine at some point that's not super great. And yeah, is it enough to tread water for a year or so? Yeah, but why are you doing that? When you had a better player at the same position, you could have just retained. So I completely agree with you. If, if the goal was to just bottom out, okay, then why bring Dennis in? You know, if it wasn't, then keep Fred. But no, you haven't. Now, like you said, you have another one coming up with OG. And all the offers have been talked about, reported, unreported, whatever the case may be. What happens to him? And then down the line with Pascal. And Pascal's older. So, like, this timeline that if you didn't trust the poor to begin with, with the Fred Van Vliet, um, OG Anobi, Pascal Siakam, if you weren't fond of that core, now you take out one of them. The other year older for another. And OG, I think, is a very good 3 and D guy, but he's, I don't think he's ever going to be that all-purpose wing. Like, that's not a core I trust, personally. So, I don't know. I mean, I still think Scotty needs a lot more work. I'm not, I was never high on him, though. So, maybe I'm a little negative. But at the same time, like, I think that he needs to be in a role that he is in a, a detailed, this is what you do well, playing transition, you know, run the floor, play defense, multi-part, like, versatile kind of tear on one end and playing within your strengths of the offensive end. I definitely don't think he's a point guard like everybody's been talking about, right? Uh, Gary Trent Jr., good shooter. His defense slipped from Portland, but you could kind of get him into a, a three and sort of D kind of player. Grady brings the D. Um, haha, Sorry. Um, but like shooting, you know? And then aside from that, you know, Jacoperto plays your defense. Like that's not a core that inspires faith in me. I'm sorry. I wasn't going. Um, but yeah, so – I don't know. That I, I just I agree with you. I think it's just franchise mismanagement on 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 Toronto's end, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, and like I, people were criticizing them as like at last year's trade deadline, and I, I, I wasn't mainly because I thought, okay, if you get a full season of Pirtle, you get some development from Barnes. Um, you know, you get some more added continuity. You add somebody in the draft like a Grady Dick. Like, yeah, they could have been, you know, if they brought everyone back, they, they could have won 50 games. I think that's a realistic, that might be on the high the high end, but I think that was possible. And when you get to that point, yeah, you're a player away from, from doing what they did in 2019. But the fact that, yeah, they let Van Fleet walk then has just completely perplexed me because, yeah, now I'm just saying, well, they're – they're not doing either path. They're not competing now, and they're not building assets for a Scotty Barnes-led Raptors unit here for the next five, ten years. And that's where, right, that sort of trying to play both um, just isn't uh, isn't working. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking of uh, playing both, let, let's turn our attention to Houston. Um, Houston, do we have a problem? Oh, I'm sorry. It walked right into that. Like, what, how do we feel about Houston? Uh, Gary, let's start with you, then we'll go to Josh. I, I just think that they're, yeah, Josh has already given the signal of, of, of no bueno. But, um, Gary, what do you think? Because I, I don't know. Like, I like their core. I like their young guys. I'm still high on Jalen Green. I loved Jabari Smith. I thought he should be the number one pick last year. He didn't play like it, but Summer League came and whoop de doo Like, I definitely see improvement there. Tory Eason looks like he'd be that kind of multi-purpose wing, you know, a little bit of everything, maybe not a jack of all trades, but like a 2023, you know, version of uh, Corey Brewer, which Corey Brewer wasn't that old. But like, in terms of like somebody who like does a little bit of everything, brings energy. I think he's better on defense, um, but like, like kind of does a little bit of everything in my mind. That probably wasn't the best comparison, but a guy like that, like I like Houston's young guys, Alfred Shingun. I don't know if it's fits in Houston, but I like him as a player. You know what I mean? Um, but then you have these 
other guys. You have the aforementioned Fred Van Vliet. You have Dylan Brooks, um, Jeff Green. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I have questions. I, I, I'm curious. Yeah, there's uh, like as far as some of the young picks, like the I, I liked both of the the draft pick of Amen Thompson at four, and I liked Cam Whitmore taking a flyer on a guy that fell. Uh, at 20, like I like both of those selections, you know, Jabari, uh, Jabari Smith showed everything you would want to see from a second year guy at summer league. He looked like he was too good for summer league. And that's what you want to see from a guy who was a, a top five pick last year. But yeah, the Van Fleet thing, even though I really like Van Fleet as a player, I do sort of question, okay, um, is this them trying to fast track the rebuild at the expense of the development of some of their young players. Like I think Amen Thompson, just from the one game that he played uh, at, at yep. summer league was, was so good. And I would want to just put the ball in his hands and give him as many reps with the ball as humanly possible. And I'm worried that if this is just going to be a team run by Fred Van Fleet and he's going to get 15 minutes a night or something like that. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you know, the Dylan Brooks contract, I understand that they had so much cap space. They needed to spend it on someone, but giving him four years, I do not understand that at all. I, you know, a balloon payment for a year or two. Sure. But four years for Dylan Brooks after he had one of the worst offensive seasons uh, in basketball. I, I really don't get that. And uh, you know, yeah, Corbin, you brought up a guy like Jeff green as well. They um, they're adding all of these veterans and you wonder, okay, well, Where's Cam Whitmore fit in? Where is he mm-hmm. going to get time to play? Um, so they, they've got this exciting young core, but yeah, you worry is the ownership, is the head coach, is this organization in general trying to win 35 games at the expense of being better two or three years down the road when this team should be hitting its peak? That is exactly what they're doing, Garrett. And there's two two big reasons for that. One, they don't control their draft pick next year. So, and in reality, and I see this so much, uh, people talked about this with the Brooklyn Nets and stuff like, oh, well, you can't you can't tank. And, and obviously you shouldn't tank if you don't have control of your pick. But like, there's this idea that like, well, you have to compete or else it'll look bad. Screw that. I don't care if it looks bad. That was the cost of making the trade that I made. Like, like I know there's a cost to it. And yeah, that other team might get a good pick out of it. That's what it is. Um, but there is that element is a pressure on Houston of, you know, do we want to continue to get another top five pick and then gift it to somebody else? Um, that's not a good look. Um but also, you shouldn't care what it looks like. You should care what it actually means and does. The other thing is the owner did not expect the rebuild to take this long. And uh, a large part of that, and this is where, like, I think it's more of a gray area when it comes to development stuff, Garrett. Like you mentioned, like, yes, it does in some ways hinders, uh, it does some way hinder opportunities for Amin and Cam, but also having an actual point guard, an actually good 
NBA point guard is going to do wonders for Jabari Smith Jr. <laughs> and for uh, Jalen Green uh, and even for Shangun. Like, and it's going to do wonders for Amon and Cam as well. It's just those opportunities are going to be a little weird. Um, and, and like the Dylan Brooks thing, I get that you, like Garrett said, you do have to spend up to the salary floor by the start of the the season. Like you have to do that. So there is some logic there. Uh, but he's now going to be taking minutes from Tari, who, who's really, really good at what you want paired around the offense of a Jalen Green, a Shabar Smith Jr. and a Shangun. Like Tari's a great connective piece there. Um, so it, it's just, again, like a, there's a logic to it, but it's not a logic I necessarily agree with. Um, and I get wanting to bring in some, some veteran leadership. Um, and I think Fred is going to help calm things down and, and like get things a little more structured, which I think will ultimately help. But also I think there are ways you could have done this uh in a in a way that doesn't have you on the hook for four years of uh brooks and doesn't have you on the hook for the amount of money that you're now paying fred van vliet um and so it's just a very kind of like toronto it's a little bit of a mix of like we want to you know compete so that our draft pick that someone else controls doesn't look too bad as a reflection on us also our owner is kind of getting tired of us sucking horrifically uh which to be fair it it would suck to to have you know the houston rockets of the last like three or four uh, the last three seasons or so be your team I probably wouldn't like that if <laughs> I was the owner either even if I was aware that like you know this is a long-term process and everything after like how bad the rockets have been over that time i can understand a little bit of like okay let's let's get this rolling a little bit more that said it's still not the right configuration of that in my opinion to actually work in either direction yeah, the the one the you know speaking again to that Brooke giving Brooks four years, there's multiple issues with it. One being that like it doesn't incentivize him to improve his game because he's got you know multiple seasons of guaranteed money. But then more importantly, you know if you signed him say to a two year forty million dollar contract, right in two seasons, that doesn't. The, the Rockets would still have early bird rights on him. They could then give him two additional seasons beyond that at that point. But if it doesn't work, they can go in a different direction. And But now they're just stuck. And I'm guessing, um, you know, there was a he, – he was quoted as saying that, like, he was going to, uh, you know, with Van Fleet, he's going to improve his offensive efficiency. It's like, well – John Morant is pretty good at getting you open looks, and I'm pretty sure most of his 
three-point attempts were wide open. So I'm not sure what Fred Van Fleet is going to do to make him better as an offensive player and improve that true shooting. Um, He's going to teach him to bet on himself. Yeah, I. Uh, so that's that's the biggest issue there. But yeah, I um, I would also say that like speaking to Amen Thompson, I think he is a point guard, Josh. Like his passing is real. And I, yeah, I, I didn't mean that. I, I meant like they did not have a point guard for the last couple of years, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so like. I understand them wanting some some sort of somebody who can actually like let's let's slow things down, let's push things further, let's like keep things contained, calm, structured, let's let's actually do things correctly. Uh and I'm not saying that Amin can't be that, but I guarantee you the Fred thing was already well considered before they even knew Amon was going to be there at four. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I think both teams, uh, talking about the Rockets and the Raptors, Raptors, I think this is the same kind of thing about not having a direction, right? Like the Rockets think they have a direction, maybe, but maybe they don't. I mean, maybe they think these young guys can grow up quickly under the tutelage of Van Vliet and um you know uh, uh brooks which is interesting josh this might be the free agency version of the same mistake that minnesota and atlanta have made where they feel they're further ahead than they actually mm. are and then so they kind of push more chips into the the pile um when they're not at that stage and yeah i, I think i i think this is the free agency version of that they didn't trade a bunch of picks to to bring in somebody but they they traded a bunch of money and a bunch of years <laughs> to bring in guys that again you could probably accomplish the same effect to a certain degree maybe not up to the same degree but to like 75 percent of that same degree for much more uh, long-term flexibility and much more salary flexibility. No, I like that. Yeah, I think the the fan fleet thing could turn out to be a decent signing because, again, it's just two years guaranteed that it's a team option. So that was good to get him on just a two-year deal, even though it is inflated money. And he does have the ability to play off the ball. I would like to – that would be the ideal scenario where he – you know, he takes some minutes from a man and Jalen Green, but they still get 25 to 30 minutes a night, and they they both still get plenty of on-ball opportunities. Um, the So there there is a scenario where I think the Van Fleet signing is completely fine and actually good, but there are some downside scenarios where he plays like he did in Toronto where he is on the ball a lot and he's eating up a ton of minutes and opportunities for their young guys. Yeah, I tend to lean more toward that being the unfortunate like possibility. But at the same time, if you're going to be behind anyone, Van Vliet's not a bad guy to be behind. You know, in terms of learning, um, you know, the finer points of, of of point guard play and how not to shoot efficiently. No, I'm kidding. But like aside from that, no, I, I think that you know that that is a, a concern in my mind. But also more reps for Van Vliet at point guard mean less reps for Kevin Porter Jr. at point, which I'm okay with. I've seen two years of that, and I think it's fine for that to happen. So I'm good with that. Um, 
we could have easily gone on another show, another two and a half shows. I mean, there's a lot here, but let's do some rapid fire quick thoughts. Um, real quick, I'm just going to throw out some teams and want to get your quick reaction to them. Uh, the Hornets. Boo. Same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay, the Pelicans. Okay. Yeah, Josh and I are on the same page so far. Yes. All right. Timberwolves. I actually like uh, picking up Leonard Miller uh, early in the second round. I thought that was a good thing for them. They have other issues, but it had nothing to do with their draft. Yeah, thumbs up for them. I like what the the Nas Reed re-signing as well as uh, the Love um, Nas. Uh, Oh, I'm blanking on it. The cousin of uh, Shay. Um, oh, Nikhil Alexander. There we go. I like I like the contract they signed for Nikhil as well. I thought Minnesota oh. did a did a pretty good job. Got some good value on both of those contracts. Agreed for sure. Um, what about the the Clippers? Uh, the steal of the offseason, Russell Westbrook got four million a year. That's pretty good value. You can't say that's that. not the steal of the offseason, Corbin, but it is solid value. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 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 shoe has yet to drop with the Clippers. Like Harden has specifically said, that's the only team he's doing the same thing Dame is doing. So like it's it's hard to give the Clippers anything more than an incomplete at the moment because it could be completely different uh, once that shoe drops. Corbin, your your Lakers got the steal of the offseason with the Austin Reeves contract. Oh, yes. And I, I brought that up before. I don't know why I reneged on that. Well, Russell Westbrook, you have to – yeah, I know where my loyalties lie. But, no, um, yes, I definitely agree. The Austin Reeves contract, for what it was, like, it was great. I, I'm definitely fond of that. Um, and look forward to how he continues to develop because the dude – came in really solid and has only become he came in competent has only become more solid apparently i think the athletic had a report that more offensive responsibility is going to be put to him and i definitely want to see how that looks playing off of lebron and ad last thing you want to run by the golden state warriors i actually like uh, i thought uh pajimski and trace uh trace jackson like i thought those were two really good picks for them um and I like them picking up Dario Saric. I think Saric is a great fit for them. All right. Yeah, and and you know Chris Paul. I uh, I still think Chris Paul is really good when he's actually healthy. So uh, there are some question marks as to you know him playing in the Warriors system. You know Chris Paul is a ball dominant, pick and roll dominant player, but he's also one of the most intelligent basketball players that's ever lived. So I think he'll figure it out. And worst case scenario that Steve Kerr can kind of run it where we run our Warriors stuff when Steph is on the floor, and then when Steph sits, we can just let Chris Paul do his thing. There we go. Either way, I agree. I think they will find a way to make that happen. And that will do it here for the Unholy Three, just around the hour, the shortest show we've done in a minute. It's been great. Uh, for Josh, for Garrett, for myself, we'll be back real, real soon. But until next time, we're Frosty. Yeah. 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 Yeah.